Supercross fans. Welcome to At The Face, episode 33. Today, we are catching up with British lacrosse men's coach, Tom Wenham. But before we do, special thanks to the show's Patreon supporters. If you want to show your support for the show, head over to Patreon and search for At The Face. You can give as little or as much as you like. It all goes towards offsetting the running cost of the show. Episode 33, Tom Wenham. Here we go. Mr. Tom Wenham, where did you first get into lacrosse? Uh, school, Cheadley Hume School. I played lacrosse to not play rugby. Uh, I mean, yeah. Cheadley did have a did have a, a long history of, uh, of lacrosse, but was a rugby school. And I played rugby like pretty much all the boys did. My dad was a, was a rugby guy. Uh, and then realised that that wasn't for me. I don't quite know what it was about rugby. I love rugby now. I was going to gonna say, what's your beef with rugby? Yeah, I don't know. Well, my lad's just got into um, into the Yorkshire uh, Yorkshire Academy for his age group. And I absolutely, my God, love watching him play. I mean, Congratulations. Just... Well, yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. Watching your kids play sport is a, is a fabulous joy. And to watch him enjoying his sport is absolutely fantastic. Um, he's in a place that I was not in. <laughs> Whatever that is, didn't, didn't enjoy it. So I did lacrosse to get out of playing, uh, get out of playing rugby. To be honest, and then it was like I guess a lot of people who are involved in lacrosse, uh, you're a bigger fish in a in a smaller pond. And then then it was kind of Cheshire under fifteen, and then into England under nineteen while I was still at school, I think. So I'd immediately got myself absolutely passionately in love with the sport, and happened to be. Uh, playing in a school team where my mates were playing, you know, that was kind of we we a couple of us had piled out of rugby at the same time and into lacrosse at the same time and then our our school teams were, were just us as, as mates playing, which was just fantastic. Alright, cool, cool, cool. So where where was your club lacrosse? I'm assuming you played club lacrosse. You played at school. Where was your club? Uh I I went to Sheffield University to play lacrosse. Um it oh, at cool. the yeah, so I played played school all the way through. I must have done some stuff at, at Old Waconians as as was. Uh, I mean, we're talking like thirty plus years ago now, Joe. So it's a it's a while back. Um, so yeah, probably must have done some stuff at, at Old Wax. But it was school across right up until the university. In my era, you only went to one university if you were into right. lacrosse. Sheffield played in the league. They were, you know, books and a Wednesday wasn't really... We we would have played a couple of games against Nottingham's and Warwick, bizarrely. I seem to remember had a really <laughs> early, early team. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I just that, that was my my club lacrosse, if you like. <laughs> it was SUMLC. When I was there, we had a rule that you could play up to two years after you graduated. I did a four-year degree, so I played, and then I went back and did a master's, and I played after that as well. So really? I, yeah, I played university across for seven, seven years, perpetual student. Absolutely loved it. What a time that was. Yeah, fabulous. Um, all right, cool. Who is your favourite person in the game? Yeah, what a what a question. Uh, I mean, been in the game a long time, so starting to to list people is going to be challenging because I will inevitably uh, miss miss some out. Aren't aren't we lucky with our sport? It, I dare say we're not unique, and other sports must be exactly the same. But that talking of university across like we were that 
that building of lifelong relationships, of lifelong friendships is just, I mean, it's special. It is genuinely special, isn't it? And we shouldn't take it for, for granted. It is a fabulous thing that the sport gives us. So loads and loads of lifelong friends. I think favourite people, I'd be daft not to, to name Chet Bourne Wilcox, who was my lacrosse teacher at school, uh, passed away a number of years ago now, sadly. Uh, but just a, a real calm and measured gentleman who took these lads who'd never heard of lacrosse, let alone had any kind of uh, natural ability and, and turned us into lacrosse players and then fostered that lifelong passion and, and been a core part of my life ever since. Um, probably name checking as well. When I, I played uh, my final England as involvement as a player was 2002 World Championships out in Perth. And immediately after that, Dave Elwood, Greg Kaplan approached me and asked if I wanted to get involved on the coaching side. Mm -hmm. And enormously grateful to, to both of them. That um, that kind of sliding doors, you know, what, what would be different if those conversations hadn't been had and if they hadn't been willing to to take a chance on an assistant coach at a national squads level who really had got minimal coaching coaching experience um you know being the captain at a, a club and union a few other places and was playing was playing for wax back by then and and whatnot but you know no no kind of huge coaching pedigree and they were willing to to see something in me which so that definitely those and then i don't think uh listening back to the podcast i don't think you can give better to henning can you really all those people that do something who <laughs> make something make something happen and if i reflect on the people who've really had an impact on me lacrosse wise it's it's that every club seems to have one person one person who is no fuss no fanfare yeah just get stuff done junior pitches are marked out wrecks are organized for uh for tra uh, for for junior games training is kind of booked and just things happen behind the scenes and as a player you tend not to notice a lot of that you know Alan Boyle at, at Wax, what an absolute legend that man is. John Ivers, Ian Warwick at, uh, at Sheffield Steelers. Just people who get things done behind the scenes uh, and and do it with, with, with no great, as I say, fuss or fanfare. I think uh, people like that, those kind of people in, in the game. It's, um, it's very easy to to underrate that, that, that willingness just to graft and make things happen. I think it's brilliant. All right, Tom, tell us your biggest grudge in the game, or who, or, or what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I listened to the podcast, Joe, as you know, and, and love it, and knew this question was coming. Um, I don't have any, and I deliberately don't have any. It's uh, I don't know whether it's an epiphany or not, but you talk about to players as a coach all the time about control the controllables, and you do your bit with a flip chart and a post-it note you know what things can you control and all that kind of stuff and you do that as a coach or at least you probably should do if you're going to walk the walk um as well as talk the talk so i a while ago realized that frustrations undoubtedly uh people who are more of a negative influence than others undoubtedly uh i've worked in environments with people who I thought were in a position where they should be supporting me and were, as it turns out, actively undermining me and, and all of that, you know, challenging. And, and it's it's not easy to live through those kind of environments. But 
you're not in control of much, but you're definitely in control of how you respond to to situations. You're definitely in control, if you want to be, of how you feel. And uh, and so no, don't really hold grudges. <laughs> I don't really agree with the idea of holding grudges. If I'm honest, uh, why on earth should I let somebody else dictate to me how I feel? That just doesn't make sense to me. So I choose not to let others impact on me. And definitely would uh, would suggest that yeah, grudges is not something that that works for me. If I'm honest. Great answer. Why waste the 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 positive energy on something negative, eh? Yeah, yeah. Unless it's fuel, you know. Unless you, uh, unless you use. Unless it's Australia, yours. and in well, which case. Well, uh, well, yeah. I mean, look, I'm never going to. Uh, I'm, you know, never. Uh, I, I suppose. Talking of Australia specifically, it is then a choice, isn't it? It's it's if a grudge can be something that is positive. It's something that you choose. It's a fuel. It's an energy, and rather than it being as you said there you know something negative it's something that you then choose uh, proactively to say yeah okay this is fuel now and and look as a as a coach at a, of a, England for for a number of years as assistant and then head coach of course wanted to beat Australia um, but more or less than any other team yeah, probably so if I'm completely honest just because yeah. they're close rivals and all that sort of stuff I got a feeling Israel will probably start to fall more and more into that bracket oh, as, as their team starts to develop. But I don't think that's um, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily see that as as anything negative. It's just that fuel of your competition f- forcing you to be, challenging you to be the best that you can be. Yeah, some people need that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Some people are just natural born athletes. Um, can get on with it, you know. Like I used to yeah, box yeah, when I was yeah. younger, and I sometimes I seriously struggled getting fired up for a fight. And then yeah. if it, if it was someone who I knew and someone I'd lost to or something like that, it was a different story, like yeah. completely different story. Some people yeah, yeah. really need that rivalry and do you hear what he said about you? Do you like do you, yeah, do you hear what yeah. they're saying? Stuff yeah. like that can go a long way. But yeah, have you seen have you seen the last dance and Jordan talking yes. about oh, that? You know, God. almost oh, engineering. Oh, it's fabulous, isn't it? Absolutely fabulous. But he'll almost engineer those kind of yeah. grudges, those, oh, he belittled me and, or said this or looked at me in a way that, and then that's then his fuel and his, his energy. I mean, I do think watching that documentary, perhaps that's, that there's an element of toxicity, isn't there? In, oh, in, absolutely. In some of, uh, some of that behaviour and some of the way that that then fueled him. But yeah, I, I'm with you completely, um, completely hear what you're saying, but, but I do think it then becomes a positive choice. If you ever... If you ever let your emotions sort of knock you off what's important to you, or then they've won, haven't they? You know, that's whether it's yeah, somebody it's... like Jordan or Australia or whoever else, you know. It you works both it. ways, doesn't it? It completely yeah. works both yeah, ways. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, cool. Uh, Tom, give us your take on something that you've heard in a previous episode that you would like to offer your two pence on. Oh, I've heard, yeah, heard lots of stuff. Uh, like I said, everything that, that Henning said makes sense. There's been some, you've already name-checked Arna, loved some of the stuff that she talked about. The thing that I, I really kind of reflected on and ended up scribbling some notes down was Katie and Will talking about goalkeeping. Mm-hmm. And what got me, both elite, both at the top of their game, both similar pathways but sort of NCAA lacrosse but had obviously come to NCAA lacrosse from different sides of the pond but how different their personal processes to 
reflection, game preparation, review, continuous development as an elite level athlete. And you've got Katie, who struck me as being very meticulous, very measured, like to write things down, keep her journal and, and have a real clear understanding of self. That, that was what I took from what she said. And, and look, I know I know Willie really well. Um, I, he talked about a, a very much the same kind of end point. I want to be the best goalkeeper I can possibly be. I want to be the best athlete I could possibly be. But came at it from a very, very different perspective and with a very different approach and I long held the belief that I don't coach lacrosse I coach people who play lacrosse and that Absolutely. sounds like a, you know sounds like a trite load of nonsense that coach no I'm with, I'm with you I'm with you they all know what they're doing right yeah, they all yeah, know well, what they're absolutely. doing you manage them yeah 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 absolutely and and that we that we are all different and players are all different. And that old adage of, oh, well, I treat everyone the same. Well, you're an idiot if you do, you know, because yeah. we're not all the same. Players aren't all the same. And to to hear two elite level players talking about their personal processes, I, I found fascinating, really enjoyed that. And and like I say, did make me think and, you know, scribble down a few, a few notes, which then probably says something about me and my personal yeah. processes and how I make sense of the world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, what would you change about the game if you could? Yeah, um, Sam, Pat and I are, are certainly aligned. I know Sam was talking about finance of national squad players. That That's something. I mean, look, I know it's not. It's you know, textbook first world problem, isn't it? And, and also first world problem even within the lacrosse world because there's a million and one other challenges that the that the sport faces. But that's that's the world I work in. That's, that's the end of the game that I predominantly operating um, with national squads players on a consistent basis and finding a way of making the game more financially sustainable for uh, for them I, I think is really is really important to me it's not just it's not just the money I think there's a stack of other stuff that goes into being an elite level athlete um, and finances then becomes a distraction. So that's the real challenge from my point of view is how do we stop it? Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. And and I think as well, and I'm now part of the problem with sixes, not part of the solution, is that it's going to become an even bigger and bigger distraction because there's only going to be more calls on player time, more calls on players' finances. And... um, talked about kind of burnout before well well we're rapidly reaching a, a world where sixes will be world games and hopefully olympics a world championships is going to follow as yeah. soon as we have a sixes world championships we'll have a sixes european championships i think there's every chance that we'll be getting some kind of commonwealth game inclusion at some point with any luck which obviously from a personal point of view would be amazing but that that hopefully will lead to more money in the game. It'll lead to a far bigger talent pool. And over time, we will start to mitigate some of those challenges. But there will be a massive hump to get over. Because at the moment, you're asking players to do, on the men's side, to do box field and and sixes, potentially. Um, It's a small small part. Um, So there's that. Um, And then the other thing which... And like I say, I could... I could be bending your ear about this all night, Joe. But the other, the other thing that I've got uh, with the sixes that I think we're really starting to do well is a closer alignment between the men's and the women's game. 
at, at all levels and and really for me that's that's only happening at sixes at an elite level but we should be looking at uh, at far far closer alignment i'm really really pleased to see what england lacrosse have done with the fly and bringing female coaches yeah into the men's game and obviously phil has been has been blazing that trail as a as a male coach in the women's game but definitely to have female coaches i think is is a hugely positive step forward but just a closer alignment full stop i, I just think needs to be we we need to work collaboratively and collectively i think that's probably just part of me and my personal philosophy of how we best do things is is work together rather than working in silos and i don't think we've been good at that as a sport no i agree i agree i mean going back to there's a good example of that in um what will and katie spoke about um and i take my hat off to them to come on and run their own podcast I went, mm. when when i floated it i was expecting two no's and they were like yeah definitely sounds great and i was like all right awesome like, i can't believe you've agreed but awesome but i was quite listening to it i was quite um taken back how little they knew about each other and that's yeah. two international goalies for the same country that didn't they don't they didn't necessarily even know each other's backgrounds, yeah. which when you're playing a position as particular as goalkeeper, it kind of threw me. Like I'd understand a bit more to outfield players, but two yeah. goalies that are effectively doing the exact same thing. They clearly haven't had that opportunity to share best practice with each other, to interact with each other, mm. to, you know, talk with each other. Um, I found that really interesting. Mm. Mm. Okay, Tom. Uh, I stalked you on social media. I'm not going to lie. You're not that active on Instagram. But could you please um, give us a follow? Who do you want the listeners of the show to go and follow on social media? It doesn't have to be lacrosse related, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, I deliberately tried to choose um, places that weren't lacrosse uh, lacrosse orientated. You're absolutely right. I'm not massive on Instagram. I am a complete uh, hypocrite because I'm chatting to the players, British lacrosse, on a consistent basis about the need in the modern world to build your own brand, your yeah, own absolutely. platform, your own profile. Uh, it's it's horse and car in the if we're going to go out and try and get commercial sponsorship, try and get people involved at a commercial level to support the team then you've got to have something for them to to hang their hang their hat on as it were and so building a profile building a brand and all that kind of stuff but yeah i'm not uh, <laughs> definitely not big on instagram slightly slightly more active on twitter but but not a great deal um but on um on podcasts i am uh, an almost insatiable appetite I do spend a fair bit of time in the in the car i don't live particularly close to uh, to training so I listen to a lot of podcasts when i'm going over to coaching sessions and and also to work so talent equation uh, the talent equation is stuart armstrong who i think is still head of coaching for sport england and his okay. podcast is yeah just chatting about anything to do with coaching uh, high performance podcast is, is maybe a bit more bit more well known that one magic academy two rugby guys who coached all the way up to national squad levels and don't focus on rugby just get a load of different people involved magic academy is always a good listen um the perception and action podcast now i am my working life now is is in academia and and lecturing and 
the Perception Action podcast is probably more academic, but that is where I have chosen to take my coaching. I okay. wanted and made an active choice to be more evidence informed in my coaching. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, a guy called Rob Gray who's out in the states and does some some fabulous stuff. A lot of it over my head, but really like kind of <laughs> ch- chewing through some of the stuff he uh, he puts out there. And then the Way of Champions is another American podcast which uh, has a lot of lacrosse people on it, but they they look at a whole range of different sports. And then the other thing, Joe, I was you know when this question was coming up, there's a YouTube channel and it's called The Opposite Direction. They've not okay. put anything out for about three odd years, so I guess it's kind of defunct now, but the stuff's still up there. And it is graphical representations. It's sort of like pictogram videos that that they put out that are looking at some quite complex coaching ideas, some pedagogical approaches, some stuff around uh, constraints-led coaching. How do we make sure our practices are representative, that they look like the game, that we're building decision makers and all that kind of stuff. And, And I just like the way that they take some, as I say, some quite complex ideas and just turn them into real simple pictures and drawings and yeah so those would be some that uh, yeah i don't know whether people have come across those or not but certainly outside of the the lacrosse mainstream but i can't remember was it you who said it that we should all be following each other that we should oh connor be... said it connor dockery connor, the legend that right. is yeah, he's 100 yeah, yeah. right yeah isn't he just isn't he just uh, yeah that that so let, let's say that as well definitely let's uh Let's echo Connor's words for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, cool. Let's get into the bulk of the questions. Um, so Birmingham 2022 is obviously just around the corner. For those who don't know uh, what the World Games are, what uh, could you explain what they are and what does this mean, in your opinion, for the sport of lacrosse to to feature in Birmingham 2022? Yeah, Um the World Games is a multi-sport event. I think that's probably the single biggest area of relevance from a lacrosse perspective because it will be our only time until we get to the Olympics that we play in a multi-sport event as as, as our sport. Um, so it's a multi-sport event and I suppose fundamentally as a multi-sport event for either for those sports who have aspirations to be in the Olympics and see it as a stepping stone or for those sports governing bodies who want to try out new formats or new competition structures. So, for example, archery will be in the World Games, but they'll not be in the World Games in the same format as they're, as they're in the Olympics. So probably I guess that would be the best way of describing it as a stepping stone for those sports with with Olympic aspirations and, and therefore of, of huge significance and and relevance to us in in the lacrosse world women been there 2017 in poland and then this is the first time that uh, that the men's team will have will have competed what what i didn't realize about the world games until i got involved in sixes is that olympic inclusion does not knock you out of the world Games. so having described it as a stepping oh. stone i think is accurate and probably is a useful way of thinking about it but it's not it's not a. It's not necessarily an either or. It can be an and. So um, that might be something that's of uh, of interest to us as a sport going forwards. How how that would work, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's not necessarily something that's one and done, as it were. You're in the World Games and then you're in the Olympics and you're never yep. in the World Games again. It's it's then I guess a decision for 
for world across to make as to how they see the strategic direction of the sport going. So for us as a sport, it sounds a bit like the stage before the stage, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There's the big stage. We're going to make sure we can perform on this stage first. Yeah. Don't you go saying that to the players, Joe. You get a, you get a <laughs> so this is the big, in this is the biggest thing in ages. Well, it is. It, There's no it, undermining it, it, but it, it is for us. It, it is for us. Um, but yes, you know, I, I look. I've described it as a stepping stone. But um, yeah, it, the big show is the Olympics, isn't it? I, yeah. I get the. I worked at the London Olympics. Well, my background's major events before I, I got uh, I got into working at a university. Uh, so worked at London Olympics, worked at the Commonwealth Games. Have seen what a major multi-sport event, a mega event, can do for a sport. But then at a real personal level, what it means for the athletes and yeah. what it means to be involved in that kind of world. It is, it is truly, truly special. I. I've used the phrase a lot and I've heard the phrase used a lot that Olympic inclusion is a game changer. Well, I really think it is. It, it's. I don't it, see how it's not. I don't see how... Yeah. It seems to be quite the argument that it's it's not. I, I just can't yeah. see it. No, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think... I think North America, particularly well, USA, uh, has a very different relationship with the Olympics than we do in Europe and perhaps don't see it in the in the same way that we do but it's not just what does the olympics mean from a performance point of view it's then all of the other benefits to us the profile the resource the stories you hear of uh, of hockey winning gold and suddenly every hockey club in the country is queues around the blocks of youngsters wanting to to pick up a stick and start playing um and there's all of that kind of opportunity doesn't happen without a lot of real careful strategic planning and forethought of how we go about that, uh, how clubs, governing body, all of that kind of stuff would, would react to potential increased profile, in, increased participation numbers at grassroots level. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just don't see the downside of it, really. We've got to get the chat, got over that hump of the small talent pool and a very few number of players playing lots of different formats of lacrosse, like we've said before, I get that. But yeah, I just I think it would be it would be enormous. Okay, so British lacrosse was created straight off the bat um, to obviously compete in the World Games. Um, at what point did you start getting involved, and and what's it been like? Start, you've basically started a whole new outfit from scratch. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved in it? Yeah, I mean, I guess pretty pretty early on, the development of the board uh, and the governance in some ways running alongside the recruitment of Phil and myself. COVID undoubtedly played a part in that Phil and I were recruited as the head coaches and then the competition, the World Games, got pushed back by, uh, by 12 months. So that changed things uh, and got involved um, through an advert. The post came out, opportunity to apply, put your CV in, go through to interview, all of that, and was lucky enough to be be selected. So feel like I've had an involvement from, not not the outset, but certainly pretty early on. And I can tell you, Joe, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that there's something about that environment that undoubtedly suits me. Um, I've worked in, and set up a number of companies over the years 
so when I was talking about working in major events, I set up an event management company and worked in that environment. And British Lacrosse has felt like a startup. Has felt like I was going to say, was... do you mean the adolescence of British Lacrosse yeah, playing yeah. on that size stage? Yeah, it's adolescence of 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 British Lacrosse. I think I don't know whether Phil said it on the podcast or whether he he's said it to me, but it, that analogy of you are trying to fly the plane while you are building it there is yeah. definitely there's <laughs> that's definitely, a great analogy <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely a, that kind of feeling but that really suits me i really like that it feels very it does feel new it feels very dynamic it feels very unconstrained in a way yeah, you know there yeah. are opportunities so talking before about alignment between men's and women's lacrosse uh doesn't happen and and look I was guilty because head coach of the England team and and could have done more to align with the women's team and and didn't but for British lacrosse it's new and it's fresh and we can try it so we have we've had joint training sessions we've had joint zoom calls when we were all all locked down we've we've tried to do things in a way that that we feel works for us and perhaps is a little bit different different and it is an environment that isn't yeah isn't constrained so what's it been like being able to select from the three countries? Obviously, yeah, you've it. done it with England. You've done it in a, a yeah, one country. So yeah. what's it like being able to select from all three? Yeah, uh, uh, it's been fabulous, really. It's um, it, The one thing that uh, we were really clear on, so we is, is Phil and myself, is that any selection has to be the best players. And if, if you're putting together an elite-level national squad, you just devalue every every kind of core value straight away if you if you start to have any kind of quotas or look at things in a in a different way so best players selected to to represent British lacrosse um, but to open that up to a wider pool and players who've come from different environments different backgrounds different perspectives it's been it's been enormously beneficial and then whilst i think that personally i probably could do a better job of liaising with the 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 national squads head coaches that has happened it certainly happened during the selection process and um, a number of ongoing conversations with with the head coaches of, of england wales and scotland and that kind of collaborative understanding of player development and uh, how do we all support each other? There's no point in any of us, or there's certainly no point of me as the new kid in town, as it were, the new Sixes squad coming in and, right, we're going to do this, this and this, and it's to the detriment of yeah. England, Wales and Scotland. So, yeah, I've, I've really I've really enjoyed that. And putting together the training squad that we have um, is it's just, well, it is, and I hope always will be a, a joy being in and around that kind of group that commitment to excellence that desire to because the players are taking a bit of a punt you know they're taking a this is new this is i was gonna say what's the reception been like going? from them oh brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah just uh, a really really sound group of people you know just as, as much as as much as they're all obviously very talented lacrosse players just really really sound human beings and um, and buying into what we're doing. We've talked a lot about, as you would do in any high performance environment, about mentality and being all in and what it means to to have a 
long-term vision and the reality for where British lacrosse is now is that some of the players in that squad have got a very real chance of competing in the Olympics, but of course some haven't. The just age would dictate that that's pretty unlikely for some of them. So you've got that um, that commitment to, to to starting a journey that you know you will not complete if, yeah, if, we, yeah, if, if we if we can talk about the olympics as as being part as sort of completing that journey um so i just you know take my hat off to the players who've, who've engaged with with that and then the other thing that we have focused on in sixes is um a view that i'm i'm very clear on very honest about is the reality of england wales or scotland producing the world best field player i think is going to be challenging anytime soon for mm-hmm. England, Wales or Scotland to produce the world's best box player, I think is probably arguably even more challenging anytime soon for England, Wales or Scotland to produce the world's best sixes player, I think is entirely within our grasp and should be something that our players are aspiring to, to achieve. And that is also exciting. It's almost all bets are off. There's a, isn't there? There's an established pecking order in world lacrosse, and USA win everything. And sometimes, if they ever don't, it will be Canada. And you know, we know kind of our little pecking order. And it does feel like there's an opportunity, not only for British lacrosse to challenge um, the established pecking order, but for those teams who, in the field game, are down the rankings to challenge us and to challenge the yep. Australians and the Israels who are who are in in and around us and and that's that's a really exciting environment to be part of you kind of feel the you feel the push from one end and the and the pull from the other and and that desire just to simply be the best you can be as a team and see where that see where that gets us you know see where that gets us when we get out to Alabama this summer well it almost turns the field game on its head um and I think that this is probably applicable not just at talent level, at the lower levels as well, that you can not be an athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but you can still be a good lacrosse player in England based on your ability to throw a ball around with a stick. You know, like there's that skill acquisition that takes quite a while to, to do. And in that respect, I think we're always going to be behind USA and we're always going to be behind Canada. But Sixes has a much more, um, from an outsider's perspective, it has a much more athlete centered approach to it like you can if you're a, a high quality athlete there's that's it, it almost appears to be less emphasis on the lacrosse side of things and more um on your ability for for cardio for strength yeah. for you know fitness yeah. and that when you compare to us to to usa and canada that's a much easier gap to shrink a much yeah. easier gap to shrink yep yeah. agree there's there's that there's the fact that the talent pool of all countries is is obviously finite but the uh it's also relative isn't it usa canada far bigger than other countries and yeah the ability to produce six or 12 in a squad athletes who can all play lacrosse is probably an easier hurdle to get over than producing a full field team um and to to have athletic ability as long as you've got the building blocks, as long as you've got the base, that's that's largely in your control, isn't it? That's something that you as an athlete can just go out and, and work on. And uh, and obviously we at a coaching and, and team level would support with programmes to uh, to help maximise that. So I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Amazing. 
Okay, so you've just come back from Portugal at the European yeah. Lacrosse Sixes Cup. Um, it looked awesome, what I got to see of it. Uh, tell us about that. How was it? And more importantly, what did you take away from that experience? Mm, yeah, we, um, I loved it. We loved it. I think the feedback from all involved has been, has been broadly positive. What a fabulous organising committee on the ground. I mean, if you were listing your hotbeds of European lacrosse, I'm not sure you'd get to, to Portugal that quickly. Um, but boy can they put on a put on a tournament and did a really really good job I, I think there was there was some almost apprehension and then a little bit of giddy excitement because it was the first competition after covid so yeah. you've got you've got <laughs> you've free. got all of these yeah yeah exactly you've got all of these uh have got all of these elite level athletes who've been caged up cooped <laughs> up for two years and suddenly uh, out out there playing i think there's there's no doubt anyone who's seen the games, international squads are at different stages of of development, and yeah. you know, I guess as a as a coach, you would want a a bigger challenge in terms of standard and, and level of competition, uh, but in terms of going out there with um, with our objectives, what benefits did we want to get from it? What was our purpose for going? Um, and went through all of that, obviously, before we left and had those conversations with the players and exactly what did success look like from our point of view and put a whopping great tick next to, to each and every one of them. So it couldn't have been couldn't have been more positive from our point of view. We'd always timed it to uh, to be a, a sort of a culmination of this phase. Um, we've got four phases to our preparation so we kind of started off in an exploration phase where we're just kind of exploring the format through training we're just kind of playing seeing what we uh, bend in the rules and having a bit of fun with it all then we're into experimentation that's where we are now kind of pruning down our uh, our performance model our game plan but that coinciding with selection of the 12 that will go to the world games so it was yeah it was just really really well timed for all sorts of reasons the fact that it was well organised and put together by by the team on the on the ground at Portugal Lacrosse and European Lacrosse, uh, made it a really special event. Yeah, really loved it. Awesome. I mean, you you just touched on it again, um, and it does keep cropping up. It keeps coming out of North America. Um, the disparity between standards of of playing games, if you know what I mean, like we're seeing England rack up twenty goals against Scotland, and and mm. you know it's doing the rounds on social media. Um, and similar comments came out of. Um, European Sixes competition. So I did my research and looked into who has been accepted into the World Games. That's just not going to happen, is it? There is no. looking at no. those teams. Arguably, the weakest one is Germany, and I'd I'd argue even you know how weak they are in that group. Um, it's eight. If I'm right, it's eight teams, eight countries that are going that are playing. Yeah. Um, there's going to be no disparity from what I can gather looking no. at it. No. No, I mean, uh, um, just on the on the European sixes, uh, I, I think that what we will inevitably see is quicker catch up and a quicker squeezing of the gap between the lower end yep. and the middle than we will between the middle and and the upper the upper end. Teams like Belgium, Portugal, they will they will catch up and they will fly. I mean, yeah. Be Belgium were. 
uh, I mean, fabulous to play against because, you know, different different standards, as I say, different stages of development. But comments from their coaching staff, don't you dare take your foot off the gas. You know, we are here to learn. We are here yeah. to develop. Just pour it on us. Just keep coming at us, which, you know, was great for us because we've got a load mm-hmm. of things that we wanted to work through as a squad, which we were able to do in those games. But that it's that attitude. The talent will come. The athletic ability that you just recruit players. Yeah. If you've got the attitude of, I want to do everything it takes, everything I need to do to be the best I can, then... You know, the rest will will sort itself out. So yeah, but the Belgians and the and the Portugals, uh, they will catch up. But the World Games is 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 the teams that you'd um, you always see in the in the field game. It's uh, it's USA and Canada and and Iroquois, I I guess the the big three in the field game, aren't they? And then you're looking at Australia, Israel. I can see Israel really going yeah. for sixes. I mean, yeah. we'll see, but but. I can see them putting out an enormously talented group. As a format, I think it lends itself really, really well to the Australians and to Japan. I was going to uh, say Japan for sure. Yeah, like they'll come out yeah. with tactics. They'll, they'll, I reckon they'll be the forerunners in sixes tactics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, and potentially athletic, uh, athletic yep. ability in terms yeah. of certainly playing transition. Um, and and then yeah, Germany will will see. Um, they always surprise me. They're, I think yeah, they're always. Yeah. They're, it's not. It's not being rude. It's not insulting anyone. Um, I think they're always gonna be the the, the weaker team in that group. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you know, they always surprise me at every every opportunity. Yeah, it's the nature of international competition, isn't it? Somebody wins it, and somebody somebody comes last. That's that. Yeah. That is just the way it goes. Um, what we understand to be the case you try and do a little bit of scouting and try and keep your ear to the ground is that germany will select a dedicated sixes team uh, and if they do that then having those players committing to being the best they can be at that format i, I think they will you know i think they'll definitely catch up very very quickly so yeah you're right world games will be no no easy games the other thing that the format does is it's 50 50 possession isn't it so yeah, as long yeah. as you've got as long as you've got an efficient offense then then you're going to you, well you're going to score goals you're certainly going to get opportunities to to score goals and taking the face off out of it and and making it 50 50 possession i think does change things I, I, if we're being completely honest probably a challenge for the format is that that 50-50 possession does mean that if one team is far more efficient in creating offence than another team, it becomes a blowout pretty quickly. You it know? doesn't, it doesn't. Though. You see, it's the same argument. If you go back to a face-off, if they're an efficient team yeah, uh, in attack, yeah. they're going to be an efficient team with a face-off. Yeah. Yeah. When we did yeah. it with COVID, I said to Brucey in that episode, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Like, given a chance, I'd possibly just get rid of the face-off. I think it made the game so much more enjoyable at the, at the development level, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying do it internationally, but yeah, I you'll never be allowed back it. in Baltimore again, will you? I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, and I'm glad There's you said it. Not me, but, yeah, but for, for what it's worth, I I, I agree. If, if there was ever um, if there was ever a serious move, and I know that there are ongoing conversations, but yeah, if there was ever serious moves to take the face off out of field across, then then I'd be all for it. But if I was coaching USA and had an utterly, utterly dominant uh, 
well a whole plethora of face-off guys i wouldn't be probably quite so quite so keen but yeah i am uh, i much much prefer this this format i do from from that perspective i do think there needs to be some some clearing up of how we inbound the ball the idea of the goalie raking it out of their goal picking yeah. it up and throwing feels a little bit like I don't know a training game or something. I, I think there needs to be something that changes that. Uh, like, a but, like an official restart. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that taking it to the back line to making it quite basketball probably yeah. doesn't work. Bringing it to the centre spot, I think, probably is too slow. I, I guess if I was um, was ever asked, it would be a spot, but it would and literally a spot marked on yeah. the pitch that's out from. Out from the goal, certain distance away. As soon as you get there, whistle blows. Yeah, exactly. And then then it's just kind of clear and off you and off you go. But you know what? Hey, it's it's it definitely is a format and as a starting point. I am a huge, huge advocate, a a real, a real fan, and that's from somebody who's played and coached field lacrosse all their life. Amazing. Okay, Tom, we're going to break this up. I'm going to go to the listeners' questions. Um, I had quite a few, but I've picked uh, my three favourite to ask you um some of them are tricky subjects so i'll apologize Ooh. in advance but I'm, i have no doubt you'll give us gold oh we love those um yeah. how do we get more diversity into the sport yeah what a what a what a great question well probably the first thing has got to be accepting that we are not even close now hasn't it, it, it that that idea of understanding and recognizing that you've got a problem um i think that you'd be wanting i guess um for cards on the table as a middle-aged white man is probably understanding that i am part of the problem and not the <laughs> not the not the solution aren't i and, and and having conversations with others who have got far more compelling and relevant lived experience would would be a starting point but look you've you've asked me so uh, let let me give it a stab I think that I think there probably needs to be an understanding that it needs to be throughout the game so it's not just players yeah it's coaches it's paid staff it's anyone at any level who's got an involvement in the game we need to uh, need to be actively recruiting and actively mindful of the fact that uh, that, there, that there isn't diversity in it, in our sport. Um, so that as a as a starting point, I think that there is a need to go to those communities uh, and again being active about development and recruitment opportunities. And not simply saying, oh, well, we've created an environment that is inclusive, that is welcoming and people yeah. need to come to us. Is finding ways of, of going out and, and actively engaging with those uh, with those communities. Um, I think those involved in any kind of marketing, social media need to be very mindful of the images that we put out that portray our sport and, and how we are seen. It's if funny we... you say that because this person gave an example. I'm not going to bother giving it because it, I feel like it puts an emphasis on the people that that individual has used as an example. It won't contribute to this, but they've specifically said that it's something on social media that prompted them to ask this question. Yeah. Or a bit of context there. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, 
look at images of our sport on social media it is it's it's white faces isn't it it, it is what it is and it's uh, it's relatively certainly uh, I guess on the women's side it's it's more of a uh, an affluent socio-economic group so it's finding ways of taking our sport into into those um, into those less represented less represented areas I'm going to bang the sixes drum again just because that's uh, that's my new thing but I do genuinely believe that there's there's an opportunity with a new format to break down some stereotypes and change some change some perspective maybe get new role models new faces involved in sixes and use that as a vehicle of something that's fresh different exciting to try and get get a, a, a different audience engaged in the game and different people playing in the game but it, if we don't break that cycle it's just self-perpetuating unfortunately okay cool next question um this one actually came across two questions so i'm going to try and piece it together um with with so few opportunities how does an unknown coach break into the talent pathway setup so what i think they mean by that is a, a coach who isn't on anybody's radar um how do they get involved and, and work their way up through the talent pathway as far yeah. as the coach goes? Yeah, great, great question. Um, uh, I think that lacrosse and particularly England lacrosse has made huge strides and are really positive strides in terms of putting jobs out to advert, including those talent academy jobs. And, um, and so it's, finding those opportunities to apply uh, and, and put, your, put your name in the hat. That's obviously got to be a, a starting point. In terms of uh, an unknown coach, how to, how to get profile, I think there is, a, there is a need for qualification. And I, I really feel this is a bit of a double-edged sword. I don't think that having a whole raft of qualifications necessarily makes people a good coach and would happily expand on that as a as an opinion but the realities of the world that we're in is there are minimum standards that are required for certain jobs and just by going on some of these courses you get to interact with the tutors you get to meet other coaches who may be working in that environment and all that kind of stuff so I think there's probably a, a need to go down the qualification route and then the other thing that I do think is really positive about lacrosse it, we all wish that we were a bigger sport better resource bigger profile all of that kind of stuff that goes with being a bigger sport but the reality is while we are what we are in terms of size everybody knows somebody else everybody yeah. can make a connection uh, and that uh, that very limited few degrees of separation and being gutsy enough to either contact somebody direct or to you know have that i know somebody who knows somebody uh and i guess what i'm then getting to is is to put yourself in positions to observe sessions to uh kind of just come down and have a watch what goes on uh i i, I could say i mean i don't think this would open the floodgates but if anybody ever wanted to come and watch a uh, a British lacrosse session we'd welcome them with open arms we've had coaches from other sports come and watch what we do we've had um, coaches awesome. from the yeah coach from the fly come and watch what we do um, uh, so that 
an environment I'd like to think we we are well I'd like to think we are very welcoming but I'd also like to think that other other national squads would be would be as well uh, and there are people who've contacted me relatively recently who've said I'm just just that I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to break into the next stage of my coaching career can I come down and and have a uh, have a watch of what you're doing and and like I say we're all up for that so I don't see why other national squads wouldn't be up for that as well amazing all right cool 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 um last listeners question so the men's and women's team trained for the first time in january this is great news but why did they and for what purpose that's an interesting uh, one <laughs> well we did because we could and we should i suppose yeah I, um i think that when you are a new organization like we are and you have some guiding principles and some kind of core values and like I've touched on before, core values around having greater alignment between the men's and the women's game, uh, that cross-pollination of ideas, that opportunity to share and explore different technical, technical aspects and all of that kind of stuff. You just should do it and just should try. If I'm completely honest, I think that we are so new and having uh, having the men's and the women's team trained together is such a new concept that we're still kind of finding out well what are the real benefits to to this there was definitely at the start a little bit of the feel of the school disco about it boys <laughs> girls on the other who's going to be first to mingle the women's team <laughs> 10 times better than the men's team at doing that i can i can pretty safely say uh, yeah, they were far, far better at building those bridges. That's um, hilarious. So I think that we're still quite new. It's still working through what we wanted to get, uh, what we, you know, what we will and can and ultimately will get out of it. We were able to have a talk from the uh, captain of the GB women's hockey team, and she talked to both oh, wow. squads together and talked about an Olympic mentality and what it meant to be a high performance athlete and and just her journey really so for us to all be in the same room listening to an olympian with players who pot potentially as i say are, are taking their first few steps on that journey to be an olympian that was that was pretty powerful i i, I really felt that we got something out of that we have also tried to facilitate conversations where and we've done that more over zoom than we than we did down in oxford uh was just the players getting together away from the coaches away from the support staff just getting small groups just talk through things just try and decide what what it is that uh, uh this format gives us how can we benefit from the rules how can we uh, what tactical stuff work in the women's game that we can nick for the men's game their footwork is unbelievable their transition yeah. is unbelievable so you know give you both of those for you know how, how on earth do we nick some of that knowledge and, and bring it into into the men's game um, and I think probably on our side, some of the finishing, some of the shooting might be the things and the, and elements of, of goalkeeping that, uh, uh, you know, there's cross-pollination uh, really useful. But I do think it will, it's just the start. It, you, you've got to just try things and see what works. What I am less convinced we will benefit from going forwards is playing joint games. We kind of tried to have this mixed tournament and... The lads didn't really know what they could do, yep. and but some of them were quite physical, and some of them weren't even remotely physical. And yep. I'm not 100% convinced that that worked. 
but the joint training session and being able to play together and kind of if, if we're on the men's side are going to say well the women's transition uh, is really really effective well executed the footwork defensively is something that we can learn well why not learn in a training environment why not learn in a in a live environment i i, I really i felt that worked well uh, but other things i think we yeah we still need to still need to work through the other thing that is being discussed and i'm pretty sure will happen is a joint men's and women's i don't necessarily want to call it a senior leadership team but i think some group of players who are able to engage with the board directly and and breaking down those barriers and having a real close collaborative environment on on marketing on social media how do we get into underrepresented groups how do we start to build commercial partnerships why on earth wouldn't we have the players involved in those kind of discussions and, and they're the ones that are going to do it so. on face value they're the ones that can yeah, yeah. You know, they can help yeah. sell the sport it's yeah completely yeah. agree with you yeah yeah well it fits with my my coaching philosophy as well. I'm, I'm not a believer in, you know, in coach tells players do. I'm, I'm not sure that's that's the most effective way of driving forward high performance teams. So if we can involve the players in collaborative working on and off the field. I can only see that as being a good thing going forwards. Um, okay, so skill acquisition and decision making in lacrosse in context of coach education. Tell us about this. I'm going to get this wrong. Is it a a, it's a doctorate of professional studies that you're doing on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it's a PhD. Right. But a PhD, uh, at least in my head, is is quite a narrow but incredibly deep study. And I could have gone down that route. Um, it, yeah, it kind of answer to your question is, you know, why? I mean, look, that that does help me professionally being Dr. Wenham ultimately so I suppose that is that is part of the journey but I don't think it would be an end point it's got a great uh, ring to it Tom well yeah maybe maybe but <laughs> I, I didn't want to necessarily do an unbelievably deep dive so a D-prof a, um, a professional doctorate it is a level eight study so it is a it is a PhD level study but you can end with what they term professional outputs so you can produce material that's perhaps a little bit more accessible uh, I spend a lot of time reading academic journals and some of them just leave me cold and the language they use just seems to be deliberately <laughs> obtuse and difficult to understand and all of that sort of stuff so a deprof is I think better suited to me because I can come up with something which I hope is beneficial to players and and coaches uh, and nobody if we're honest and look I coach this new format if we're honest you know nobody's got any huge amount of uh, of, of knowledge of sixes because yeah. how can they it's new so why not do a study and a deep dive into various elements of the format and and try and learn as much as I can through through research and develop an evidence-based approach so I'm quite how it'll end up i mean i'm what, what am i now i'm kind of nine months into what will be a five-year process so it's still pretty early but it is a study on skill acquisition how how fundamentally do we help players get better at playing sixes what um i don't want to kind of 
blow anyone uh, blow anyone away or probably more bore anyone to death. But lacrosse's decision making. It's making effective decisions in context and then being able to execute and act on on that decision. And that's constantly changing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, you're up against a bigger, slower defender. You're up against a quick defender. You're up against a defender who's got every stick check in the world. You're up against a defender who's... Um, blowing hard because they've just had to do sprints up the field you know the decisions you're making even in just dodging and do i take my take my man on they're they're changing all of all of the time and so much of the coaching that i see decouples skill and decision making it's uh, we've got to learn the fundamentals before we can play the game oh if they can't pass and catch they can't do you mean by that there's a set way that you expect someone to do a set skill? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 we kind of coach this this building block, ground up, uh, decoupling. We take decision uh, decision making away from them. And look, I know that pretty much everyone now has, thank God, moved away from from line drills. But it's not that long ago that that was the accepted wisdom that that was a pretty effective way of helping players get better at pass, passing and catching. But you have taken away any representativeness. The line drill does not look like the game. And so how do we create practice environments that develop the skills that we feel are important, but are coupled with, are linked with a representative decision-making process, i.e. they are executing skills and at the same time making decisions that they will then find and come across when they're playing games i.e. our practice environment looks like the game. Now, that's not to say let's just play games in practice because then you're not developing the skills and you're not kind of intensely looking at those areas that you want. But uh, it, it's it's that, really. You know, it's kind of how do we best develop practice environments uh, to support player skill development. Awesome. Yeah, right. yeah. So, <laughs> well... Uh, it, uh, it kind of come, brings us right back round to how do you find time to do anything else? It, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all consuming at the moment, and one of the uh, one of the challenges that I've got is is that old adage of if you if you want to if you want to get a better answer, you need to find a better question, and I, I'm probably still at that stage. I think I'm still wrestling with well, what is it that I'm really going to look at? What is it that I'm really going to study? Something that really interested me in my masters is that I interviewed elite level shooters to ask them how they develop their expertise. And I interviewed the England men's team, and then I interviewed a load of elite level shooters from the USA, players with international experience, players who are four year starters at NCAA. And part of the challenge is that experts at that level, they don't know because it's intuitive. It's second nature. It's stuff that's just embedded in them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting and challenging process for sure. Okay, last one from me, Tom. You have the ability to get every coach in the UK to do one thing across the board. What would that one thing be? For them personally, uh, to develop a uh, a reflective process that works for them so it's not a one-size-fits-all but is to come up with a means of 
understanding self, interrogating their own practice, their own behaviours, their own coaching activities and having a robust enough process that they can kind of shine that spotlight on themselves and make ongoing and continuous improvements. And we move away from coaches going, well, I've got 10 years experience or the game going, he, she has got 10 years experience, therefore they must be a good coach. Well, the reality is they've just done the same thing 10 years on the trot. So they've got one year experience that they've repeated 10 times. If we've got as coaches a genuine reflective process that helps ongoing development, then yeah, we're all we're improving, growing, developing. Uh, I'd, I'd say that, Joe. I think that's got to be a good thing. Awesome. I remember that that reminds me when I was delivering a level two once, um, and there was a guy in the room who he had a lot of experience. Um, he'd played and coached at a, a good number of levels. I think he was just getting his level two because he kind of had to get his level two mm. and we were going mm. over session planning and he literally wrote his name on the top of the session plan squiggled one line didn't i like basically gave me a blank bit of paper and he was just sat there with his arms folded and i was like you're um you, you're gonna write anything down no 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 i know what i'm doing don't worry about it and i was like okay like it's, you know this is a qualification like you you could write it down what you want to do no nope, no nope, it's all up there don't worry and i was like this is such a egotistical thing to do because you've done this 10 it was basically you can't teach me anything new and i was like you've done this for 10 years i get that or 10 years or longer um but you're just not willing to a be self-critical in any way b be open to the idea that we're going to review the session plan at the end and there's possibly things that you can improve on um yeah. it just it made me laugh so much i was like okay cool i can't i yeah. can't wait for your session yeah yeah there still is that well there is that isn't it that the coach is the sage the sage on the stage the coach is the one with all the knowledge the coach is, is the expert uh, going back to things that um that people could engage with david marquette there's a brilliant youtube video that's of his book turn this uh, turn the ship around or turn the boat around he's a he's a nuclear submarine commander and he talks about putting the putting the decision making where the information is where the knowledge is and the knowledge is with in his case his submariners he's yep. a he's a submarine captain in our case the knowledge the decision making needs to be with the with the players and there's still way too many coaches that i see who feel the coach has to be the one with the answers the coach has to be the one with the knowledge and my feeling is that coaches should be creating environments where the players solve problems it's not the coach solving the problems uh there's only one of you stood on the sideline and it is arrogance it is egotistical behavior in my view to be you know ballsy enough confident enough to go yeah i have got all the answers whatever happens in this game i will be able to solve it i will be able to come up with with, with a suitable response uh, personally i just think it's absolute nonsense try and empower the players and and get them to come up with with their own answers, their own solutions. Seems like a far more effective approach to me. That is it for episode 33. Special thanks to Tom. I've really enjoyed talking with him. Guys, if you want to hear the unedited, an hour and 45 minute version of this episode, head over to Patreon and search for At The Face. The way it works, you give a small monthly donation, donation, sorry, whatever you're comfortable with, um, and you get all the bonus episodes, you get every normal episode in its entirety, um, completely unedited, um, and yeah, you help support the, the running costs of the show. 
Go take a look. It's on Patreon and just search for At The Face.